Ferris B'nai Torah presents The Schmooze, an engaging and motivating Musser and Hashkafa series that deals with real-life issues. There's a Pesach in Chumash that describes two losaseis, losikom, lositor, do not, <clears throat> do not take revenge, do not bear a grudge, as b'nei amecha, to people of your nation, you should love your neighbor as yourself, Ani Hashem, I am Hashem. And Rashi explains what does this mean, Nekama, what does it mean, Netira, what are the differences between them, and Rashi is very clear. He says as follows, <clears throat> If Ruven goes over to Shimon and says, lend me your Sith, lend me your, your inexpensive tool, and Shimon says back to him, no, I don't want to do that. The next day, <clears throat> Shimon comes to Ruvain and says, lend me your axe. And if Ruvain says the word, no, I'm not going to loan you my axe because yesterday you did not loan the tool to me, that is Nakama, that's revenge. Not doing something because he did something, that's revenge. What's Natira? <clears throat> Natira, Gomorrah continues on to say, if Ruvain comes up to Shimon and says, lend me your tool, and Shimon says, no, the next day, Shimon comes over to Ruven and says, you lend me your tool. And Ruven says, yes, I will lend it to you because I'm different than you. You wouldn't lend it to me, but I'm a different sort of person. And he lends it. To, that's Natira. It's bearing a grudge. He's still keeping that sort of hatred in his heart. And the Sifte Chomim explains a very interesting question. That the Torah seems to be blaming Ruven in this case. Ruven is warned. Ruven, do not take Nakama. Don't take revenge. Ruvain, do not bear a grudge. But if you think about it, Shimon is the cause. Ruvain came over to Shimon and said, please loan me your tool. Shimon said no. Shimon was the one who fired the first arrow. He started the fight. So why is the Torah picking on Ruvain and saying, don't you take revenge, don't you bear a grudge? If anything, the Torah should focus its energies on Shimon and say, be a mensch, loan your kli, so you don't start the problem in the outset, and Sifta Yechamim brings down in the name of the Chizkuni that the answer is that the motivation of the two are very different. When Ruvain goes over to Shimon and says, please loan me your Kli, Shimon might be a bit stingy. He might be a little bit too cautious with his possessions. He might be concerned that they may break, whatever his little issue may be. And that's a normal consideration of a person. And the Torah does not command a person that he specifically must loan out his Kalim. However, Ruvain is very different. See, Ruvain would gladly loan out his kli. The reason why Ruvain doesn't loan it out, or the reason why Ruvain says, I'm not like you, is because there's sinna. There's hatred in his heart. What he's saying is, the kli is not important to me. The vessel doesn't matter to me. I'd gladly loan it to you, but you didn't loan it to me, and I'm going to get you back. That's Nakama. Or, I'm going to loan it to you, but I'm going to show you the difference between you and me. That's motivated by hatred. And there's a very real distinction between being motivated by being stingy and being motivated by hatred. You see, you can be a good guy. And you could have a lot of faults. You could be stingy. You could be too loud. You could be too coarse. You could be self-centered. You could be a very good guy with a lot of faults. But the minute there's a flicker of hatred in my heart to you, it's no longer that you're a good guy with some faults. I hate you. And now you become ice mensch. You're no longer a good guy with a fault. You're now a totally destroyed human being, not in the parsha of human being. And once there's a little flicker of that anger, that hatred, 
then it destroys the other person. It's no longer an issue of their faults and we can each deal with each other's faults. Now it's animosity, now it's hatred. And once that little flicker of hatred enters in, <coughs> everything boils over and everything ends up spiraling, spiraling out of control. Hence the Chizkuni explains to us, the Torah warns Shimon, Shimon, I'm sorry, was cheap. That's not so much a problem. Ruvain, if you take revenge, that will spell fights. That will add machlokas in the world. Now, that alone is an interesting insight into the Nekama and the Tira difference. But the Sifte Chachamim brings down a very end point over here where he says that there's something in the Pasuk that doesn't belong. Don't take revenge. Don't bear grudge. All makes sense. But why does the Pasuk end with the words Ani Hashem? Says the Sifte that that's actually the solution. If you want to work on not taking revenge, if you want to work on not bearing a grudge, think about that concept that in the I am Hashem. And he explains why. Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hashem says, Let the love that you feel for me win out. The hatred that you feel for Him. And through that will come peace in the world. Meaning, when you went over to Shimon and you asked him to please loan you that kli. And he said, no, you hated him. You really felt anger and you really, really wanted to take revenge. Focus on this concept that I love you, you love me, and that concept alone, the love that you feel for me, Hashem says, will allow you to vanquish the hatred that you feel for Him, and there'll be peace. And that's how the Chizkuni explains the Pasuk. But the problem is, if you think about it, that that's a very difficult concept to understand. When we talk about loving Hashem, we talk about it usually in some vague sort of ephemeral sense of like, maybe in some level we can relate to Hashem, maybe on some level we could have a relationship to Hashem. But what the Sivtei Chachamim is saying over here is that a person is supposed to love Hashem so powerfully that that love can literally vanquish his hatred, can change the anger that he feels against somebody else and somehow eliminate it. And the first problem is, how is it possible for a regular person, not a Rabbi Akiva, but a regular Jew to actually love Hashem to that extent? But if you think about it, there's even a more serious problem. And that more serious problem is, let's say it's true, I worked on myself, and I got to the level where I literally love Hashem. Good. I love Hashem, and I hate you. What's the contradiction? I love one person, hate another person. I love Hashem, I passionately and madly, Hashem, I love you. But you are a creep, you didn't lend me the clea, and I hate you. Why does one preclude the other? And yet, the Chizkuni is telling us that this is a system. If you focus on the fact that you love Hashem, this will stop you from hating this person. And the question is, what's pshat? How could it be? Number one, how could a person come to that madrega of love? And number two, how is it possible that that love will stop me from being angry, from hating another Jew. So to answer this, I want to begin with a little bit of a, <clears throat> of a thought. When a human being is born, a baby is completely dependent. The baby, as a matter of fact, of all of the animals of the wild, <clears throat> the human is the last to develop, and the human is the most dependent on its parents. In the wild, typically... Animals by six months, surely by two years, are independent. The wildebeest can walk after five minutes of birth. 
The man, on the other hand, at birth is a glob, senseless, incapable of its own defense, and totally, totally needy. As the baby grows, with it comes greater abilities, and with it comes a sense of autonomy and a desire to be independent. And it's interesting to watch a three-year-old because a three-year-old wants to do things on its own. I've always remembered my kids, when they get around that stage, they have to get dressed themselves, they have to do everything themselves. And it's very cute to see a three-year-old say, self, 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 and they put the, the shirt sleeve over their head and it doesn't work, but self, self, and you can't dress them, they got to do it themselves. There's an inborn need in the human to be independent. And as a child grows, this need becomes stronger and stronger. In the teenage years, it often becomes an issue. The teenager is not yet ready to take on the responsibilities of an adult, feels that he needs the independence of an adult, yet finds himself somewhere in between. Now, ideally, the human being is supposed to be self-reliant, independent, yet fully aware that he's dependent upon others, interwoven in a social network, and very, very much dependent on many people. You see, the typical brash teenager who has the attitude of, I don't need nobody, is just a baby who's grown up a little bit with that same self, with that same sense of, I could do it on my own, but that's very immature. And the perfect balance is very difficult to attain, but the perfect balance is where a person is self-reliant, independent, but yet remains needy in the sense that I need other people, I need relationships, but I'm comfortable with that sense. I got to see one human being who I consider the ultimate mature human being. That's my Rebbe, the Rosh Hashiva. And the Rosh is an amazingly, amazingly powerful person, yet a very, very humble person. Amazingly independent, yet very, very much soft, caring, giving, attached. But that contradiction is rare to find in a human being. Typically, as a person becomes more self-reliant, they become brash, they start denying anyone else's, needing anyone else, they stop depending on other people, and they have this sense of, I can do it on my own, I don't need nobody, I don't need nothing. And that sense is not just false, but prevents them from really maturing. We discussed in Shemuel 39, I need needs, that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the human Hashem specifically created man with many, many needs. The bracha we make after we eat food is Hashem, you created many, many creatures. Many creatures and their lacks. Each one of them lacks something. Each one of them needs something. Man of all the creatures of the wild needs more than everyone else. Man has to work much harder for his food. Man is much more dependent Man is much weaker, and it's not by accident. The reason for it is, is because man is supposed to understand that he is dependent. Certainly dependent on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as well dependent on other people, and finding that balance between being independent, self-reliant, but yet also being comfortable with my being dependent upon others, and ultimately being dependent upon Hashem, is the perfect balance of a mature person. Now, the reason why this is important for us right now is because the Chovos of Ovos explains that the underlying force that allows a person to be a mature Eved Hashem 
is a karasatov, recognizing good. But he explains that there are two separate components to a karasatov. When you do something for me, I have to have appreciation. But what I have appreciation for can be on two different tracks. Number one, I have to have appreciation for what you did for me. If you did for me a great good, I have to appreciate that greatly. If you did for me a small good, I have to have much less appreciation. But there's a whole other track. That whole other track is that in accordance to what your intention is, is the amount I owe you back. So for instance, let's assume for a minute you did me a great, great service. You really changed my life. But your intention was not really to help me. Quite the opposite. Your intention was to harm me. The Chavaz of Chavaz explains, in that case, I still owe you some recognition of good, but very little. And on the flip side, if your intention was to help me, and you really went out of your way, you really strained and did everything to help me, but in the end it didn't really bring it about, so even though it's true you didn't help me, I still owe you tremendously, because after all, your intention was to help me. Now these two tracks, what you actually did for me, and what you intended to me, run often time in different pathways. And I'll show you what I mean. Probably the relationship that a human being owes the most to is to his parents. I remember when my son was about three or four years old. And you have to keep in mind that when I was a kid growing up, I was pretty rough and tumbled, and I never thought I'd be one of these mushy little Abbas. My son, again, he was about three or four, and he had a high fever, and he also happened to have a bone broken, and they weren't sure what it was. They didn't know. They suspected a very serious bone disease. We brought him into the hospital, the emergency room at night, many hours of testing. Finally, they decided the only way to get to the bottom of it is they had to draw blood, but not from a regular vein. They needed a deep vein inside his thigh. So these two phlebotomists, these two lab technicians, came in with the white coats and the gowns, the whole nine yards. They <coughs> brought him into an operating room, and they asked me to help hold him down. And then one of the technicians takes out this long needle and holds it over his thigh. Now this little guy is being held down. He looks up with tears in his eyes and says, Abba, make them stop, please. And I wanted to melt. What do you say? The Chobos says that when a father sees his son in pain, it's not the son that's in pain, it's an extension of the father. The father is attached to the son, so it's literally like his arm, the father's arm is being cut, the father's leg is being stabbed, because that's the attachment of a father to a son. And obviously, the father sacrifices, the father works, the father does everything he can for the son, and the son is the recipient of much, much good. There is nothing that a child could ever do in their entire life to pay back their parents for what their parents did for them. The child slept in their parents' home. The child wore the parents' clothes. The child slept in the parents' bed. That's the child. He's in this world, and everything that he has is because of his parents, and there's nothing that he could do to ever pay back his parents. Yet, the father did that because the father was programmed to do that. You see, the father didn't wake up one morning and say, I want to have a tremendous sense of love for my son. I wish to feel an emotion of attachment to my son that's instinctive in the heart of man. And if you want to see an interesting illustration of that, in the wild, 
something very interesting happens. The cougar will defend its young. Most big cats, in fact, most animals will protect its young at the risk of its own life. And they'll fight off predators, and they'll fight off attackers at the risk of their life to defend their cubs. Until the cub becomes sexually mature, then the mother cougar will turn against its young and will literally kill it if it remains in the pride. Certainly if it's a male in almost all species, and in many species, even if it's a female, once it's mature enough to be on its own, the mother no longer recognizes the cub, will turn against it as a stranger. Because while a cub, the mother had this maternal instinct to defend its young. But you see that instinct was programmed for a certain amount of time. Once the cub hits a certain age of maturity, the instinct stops, and now it's a stranger, it's a foreigner. You see, the mother cougar did not choose that sense of maternal instinct. It was programmed in, <clears throat> placed into it by Hashem to keep the species in existence, but there's a case to it. And so too, a human father or human mother. They feel things for their children. They do wondrous things for their children. They sacrifice for their children. And there's a never-ending sense of appreciation a child must have for his parents. And yet, even though that's true, there's also a certain understanding that the parent did not choose those emotions. The parent is acting upon an instinct. And therefore, on some level, there isn't a total, complete sense of akarasatov, of appreciation that the child should have for the father. And if you go through all human relations, you'll see every one of them is tainted. Every one, even if you find the most altruistic, most giving relationship, there's always an element either of self-service or an element of being trained in the giver. And the Chavaz Vavaz goes through the various relationships. He says, think of the time that you've been given things by other people. Imagine you're a poor man, and you appeal to this rich man, and you say, please, please help me out. And the rich man writes you a check and literally saves your life. There's one or two motivations that are driving him. Either he's a wise man, and he's buying himself olam haba. He's buying himself a future in the world to come. He's investing a very small thing called his money to buy himself a world to come. Or he's buying himself a name. He likes to be known as a big shot. He likes to be known as a macher. But one or the other, it's not pure. And even if you find me the one guy who writes the stucker check for the really, really pure kavana because he feels another Jew's pain and really doesn't want his name in lights and isn't even thinking about Olam Haba, no one understands that that instinct, that sense of Rahmanis, was put into his heart. He didn't create it. He didn't make it. It's something he's acting upon, which is an instinct within him. And I want to share one more step with you. I was at a kinos last night in Muncie, Matisho was speaking, and it was a very large crowd, and it was a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be among so many Jews. And at a certain point, someone passes me a cup of seltzer. It was a long kinus, and a matnus chinam, a fellow two steps down, he maybe recognized me, maybe didn't. He was pouring soda for himself, so he poured me a cup of seltzer. And I felt that was really, wow, that's a, a beautiful chesed. That was really sweet. I happened to be thirsty, and it was really a generous act that was a beautiful act of chesed. My friends, I want you to hear this. If you are in a bad marriage, 
there is an unending amount of a tov that you have to have for your spouse. Because in a bad marriage, I guarantee that the wife does so many chasadim, so many favors for the husband, and the husband for the wife, that it's immeasurable. That's if it's a bad marriage. What if you're in a good marriage? If you're in a good marriage, it is very difficult to imagine the amount of chesed that one spouse does for the other. There are many times when I'm quite honestly astounded by the debt of gratitude that I have to have for my wife. She takes care of my children, she takes care of the clothes, she takes care of the house. There's nothing, nothing that she doesn't do for us with total, total mysterious nefesh, giving, giving, giving. And to make it even worse, for many, many years after I was married, I was learning. I was not even supporting the house. And then when I was working, it was in Chinuch, which is again, arguably not supporting the house. And even to this day, my wife still works, which is astounding. I mean, she's doing her job and my job, and is an unending sense of akarasatov, of recognizing the good. How could I ever pay her back? And the reality is that a husband should have an unending sense of gratitude for what his wife does for him, and the opposite as well. A wife should have a very strong sense of recognizing that a husband provides for her, the husband provides security, identity, the husband is her husband. And both partners should have a very, very real recognition and appreciation for what each does for the other. And while that's true, and while it's also true that neither one can ever pay back the other for the chesed that they do for one another, the reality is that even that relationship has an element in it that's not completely, completely altruistic. A woman, properly brought up, with a good sense of das and understanding, feels a sense of duty. She feels it's her job. She feels that's what she's here to do, to serve her husband, to help her children. And you see, the point is that it's programmed within her to do exactly that. Now again, that does not obviate the husband's obligation to feel a tremendous sense of appreciation, but on some level, <coughs> she's programmed, she's pre-born, hardwired to that. And the reason why this is important to understand is because if you will search every relationship, every single activity of man to man, you will never find a single one that's pure. And the Chobos of Ovis' point is that the only chesed gomer, the only pure chesed in this world is one relationship, and that's between our Creator and ourselves. You see, when Hashem does chesed, that's a chesed shel emes. There is nothing in this world that Hashem needs from you or from me. There's nothing in this world that we could ever do to help Hashem. Hashem is shalim, Hashem is complete, Hashem needs nothing Hashem doesn't need us, nor our mice, nor anything we could ever envision or imagine. Yet Hashem created us, and Hashem does chesed with us every day, daily, hour after hour, for one reason and one reason only. Because Hashem is the mativ, Hashem is the giver, Hashem is a benefactor, and Hashem loves His creations. And when you think about the different relationships, and you train yourself in learning how to appreciate what other people do for you, and then you focus on the fact that while I can never begin to repay my parents, nor probably even my boss, nor surely not my spouse, but at the end of the day, they're not the bylum of the world. They didn't create the world, 
They didn't create themselves, and they did not even create their emotions that caused them to want to help me. And when you take that step, you then come to recognition that every good that I've ever experienced, any positive event in my entire life, stems strictly from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, from my Creator. Because the cause of all causes, the source of all sources, the one who's behind it in the global sense, but actually the one who's down to the day-to-day activity, helping on a daily basis, is my Creator, is Hashem. And when a person thinks about that, there's an un, unending sense of appreciation, but not just appreciation, an unending sense of Hashem loves me. You see, Hashem doesn't need me. Hashem doesn't want anything from me other than my own good, because Hashem loves me. And that sense that Hashem loves His creation, I am a creation, Hashem loves me, is a very important concept to think about. You know, it's unfortunate in our society, the only time people work on things is when they, they're diagnosed with, an, with a condition. If you have a self-esteem issue, you go to the psychologist, he'll give you an entire list of things to work on. If you have various conditions, they'll give you a list. But if you're a regular person, you don't work. My friends, I think it's a mistake. If you want to mature as an individual, you have to work on things. One of the things a person should be working on is a sense of appreciation. The sense of I'm an independent, self-reliant individual who is extraordinarily needy. I cannot fend for myself. I cannot, not only can I create the world, I can't run the world. I can't even really provide for my own parnosa. I certainly can't provide for my own health. I certainly can't provide for all the things that I need. I am very, very needy, very, very dependent. I rely on Hashem. And that sense of being needy also brings a tremendous sense of appreciation. Because once I recognize I'm not this brash teenager who doesn't need a thing, once I recognize the fact that I am dependent upon others, I can appreciate what others do for me. And ultimately, once I train myself in that, I can come to the next level of appreciating that ultimately the source of all sources is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that can bring me to an unending sense of appreciation. But it takes work. And work often means writing things down, writing down what I'm indebted to different people for, ultimately what I'm indebted to Hashem for. And when you do that difficult work, and you do that exercise, you take a few minutes each day and write things down, what happens is you get this sense of, wow, there's nothing I could do for Hashem, nothing that He needs for me. He's doing these things for me for one reason only, because Hashem loves me. And once you begin getting that sense in your mind, you feel very differently. You have a different sense about Hashem, and you also start having a different sense about yourself. And that brings us to step two. Every once in a while, you'll see an angry young man. A hostile, angry fellow, a chip on his shoulder, really, really a problem. And you may find he gets engaged and he's a different human being. Very, very different. Gone is the hostility. Gone is the anger. Gone is a chip on his shoulder. And he's like a happy-go-lucky, totally changed individual. And you say to yourself, my high, what's pshat? I know the guy, he's angry. But that's not what I see in front of me. 
And the answer to that paradox is the fact that typically when a person's angry, when a person's hostile, they're hurting. Usually they're hurting inside because they feel a lack of approval, a lack of affirmation, a lack of acceptance, a lack of security. Typically when you find the angry young man, it's because deep down inside he's frightened. He's frightened because he's insecure, he's frightened because he doesn't have approval, and he's frightened because he doesn't have the affirmation that he needs. And he puts on this bravado, this tough act, this angry act, this act of hostility, because he's covering up for an inner lack, until something strange happens. He meets the Kala, and the Kala is goo goo gaga about him. Wow, you're perfect non-judgmental, amazingly compassionate, approval, affirmation, acceptance. He's got everything he needs 24-7. She's showering him with attention, approval, affirmation, identity, and he is now a changed human being. Now, unfortunately, it's not a panacea. It's not a solution to the problem. Because an amazing thing happens between the being a kala and the being the, a married woman, reality sets in. And no longer is there unending approval, no longer is there unending acceptance, no longer is there everything my chassan does is wonderful. And when real life sets in, this young man has an awful lot of work to do. Because again, the same lack of approval, the same inner emptiness may surface and may in fact cause him more conflict. It's a better situation than when he was single. And if he works on himself, he can grow and eventually become a well-balanced, well-adjusted individual, but it's not an automatic solution. But here's the point. The point is, whenever you see an angry individual, whenever you see a hostile individual, what you're seeing is a person who's in pain, a small person who's been injured, who feels an inner lack, feels an inner lack of identity or affirmation. There's something in him that needs met. And therefore, when you get a person like that angry, you know what he feels? He feels that he's being attacked. As it is, I don't feel too good about myself. As it is, I have these inner conflicts. And then you attack me. When you attack me, you're taking away my sense of essence. You're you're not just threatening me, you're stepping on me. I'm amazingly vulnerable. And I feel like you're destroying me. And there's nothing that you're going to get but vengeance. I will pay you back for the pain that you caused me. And that's anger, and that's hostility. And I think, my friends, that's the answer for the Siftei Chachamim. Would you like to know, number one, how a human being can come to actually love Hashem? The answer is you work on it. If a human being thinks, I am the recipient of much, much good. My parents have helped me. There is nothing I could do on the face of the planet to pay back my parents for all that they've done for me. My friends have helped me. My employer helps me. I'm a recipient of so much good. If I'm married and I have a spouse, then there is an unending sense of a karasatov that I have to have appreciation heaped upon appreciation. But ultimately, every one of them, to some extent, is serving themselves or serving a self-programmed agenda that they did not control. The source of it all is Hashem, and I am the recipient of unending good from Hashem, 
And with that sense of appreciation comes a sense of, I'm loved, Hashem loves me. And if a person works on that, you know what happens? There's a sense of balance. There's a sense of acceptance. There's a sense of approval. You see, knowing that you're loved, knowing that you're accepted, allows you to be a very, very wholesome individual. And a wholesome individual is not angry, is not hostile. I'm at peace with myself. So when I go over to you and I ask you, will you please lend me the kli? And you act with stinginess. And you say, no, I'm not hostile. I'm not angry. I'm at peace with myself. Because I have acceptance. I have approval. I have love from my Creator. Hence, I walk over to you in a sense of peace. And when you say to me, no, I look at you as a guy who has a fault. A good guy who's got a fault. You're a little parsimonious, a little cheap, whatever. Not a big deal. And I walk away. But you see, if I don't know that I'm accepted, that I'm approved, if I don't know that Hashem loves me, I walk over to you with a wounded ego, I walk over to you with this lack of really sense of security, and when you say the words no, I feel anger. You know why I feel anger? Because you're threatening me. You took from me. You're not giving it me. And when I feel that, I feel anger inside, I feel hostility, and that sinner comes out, and you become the recipient, and once that flicker of anger, of hatred starts, the conflagration, the fire burns, and it burns down anything. And I believe that's exactly what the sister Chomim is saying when he says that allow the love that you feel for Hashem and allow the love that Hashem feels for you. Think about it. Dwell upon it. Day after day, let it set in. Understand the fact that you're accepted, you're approved, that Hashem loves you. And not because you did or didn't do, but because Hashem created you and loves you and wants to give. When you have that sense, you'll have a sense of balance, a sense of being approved, a sense of acceptance. And with that sense, you'll be at peace with yourself And that will vanquish any hatred, any sinner, because you won't be angry, you won't be hostile. And it's a technique to make a person much more comfortable in his own shoes. But there's one more step that I think needs to be understood. And that is that every once in a while, a relationship fails. And it's a very sad thing when a marriage fails. And it's a very painful situation. And typically, a young man, a young woman knows that if the marriage fails, they go back to their parents. Because marriage is marriage, spouse is a spouse, it's the closest relationship under the sun as long as you're married. But if it fails, for whatever reason, you go back to your parents because they gave birth to you and you can always rely on your parents. That's bedrock, that's stone. There are times when even that relationship fails. There are times when a child cannot even go back to his parents. But Rabosa, I want you to understand one thing. There is one relationship that a human being can always go back to, time after time, day after day, no matter where he's at, and that's his relationship with his Creator. Because it's unconditional love. Not because you're bright, not because you're dumb, not because you're a big tzaddik, not because you're a Russia, not because you gave lots of stuck or you never gave stuck, or not because you did anything or didn't do anything. Hashem is the ultimate benefactor, the ultimate mative. You didn't do anything before you were created to deserve to be created, and there's very little you can do afterwards to give back to Hashem anything. Hashem loves every one of His creations, and that's an unconditional love. And I have one more step to share with you. 
I mentioned in a previous schmooze, and I want to repeat it. And that's a very interesting concept. People oftentimes have the attitude, yes, if I lived a different life, maybe Hashem could still love me. If I didn't do what I've done, if I haven't seen what I've seen, if I didn't get involved in the type of things I've gotten involved in, maybe Hashem could still love me. But after what I've done, after what I've seen, there's no way that Hashem could possibly love me. Hashem is too angry with me. And gentlemen, here's the point. You, with all the respect, are not important enough for Hashem to be angry with you. You see, I can be angry with you if you're my equal, if you're my superior. If you're on the same level, you did something and you got me angry. If I look at a tiny little kid, a one-year-old, two-year-old, you don't get angry. But Hashem's relationship to us is not like a father to a two-year-old. Hashem is so many leagues, so many light years larger and bigger than any human being. There's nothing that any human being could ever do to threaten Hashem. There's nothing that any human being could ever do to challenge Hashem. Hence, the concept of Hashem being angry with you is actually philosophically impossible. The most that could ever be accomplished is you can make Hashem disappointed. I gave you life. I gave you the opportunity. I said, go out there, do, accomplish for your good. Please do something. And you could disappoint Hashem. But the concept of anger cannot exist by Hashem because there's nothing outside of Hashem's control there's nothing you could do against the will of Hashem, and you're just not important enough to get Hashem angry. That level of importance no human being has. And with that comes the understanding that the love that Hashem feels for every human being is unconditional, and therefore is unashir, despite what you've done, despite what you've been involved in, that love is still there. And that sense can propel you dramatically towards Avodah Hashem. I heard my Rebbe, the Roshiva, once say an amazing thing. He says, imagine the following. Imagine you open the paper and you read your lotto number. You won $10 million. You're rich. It's great. Life is unbelievable. And then a guy comes over and steps on your toes. Would you hit him? Would you punch him? You'd hug him. Come on, I just won the lotto. Did you hear the news? There's nothing anybody could do to get you angry. I'm so happy. I'm ecstatic. Wow, my life has changed. It's unbelievable. Life is great. You could never get me angry. Roshiva was masbir that if a person understood the love that Hashem feels for him, the fact that Hashem loves me, that would bring such a joy to my heart, such a sense of wow, life is great, that nothing you could do could make me upset. And that's what the Chizkuni means. When I focus on the fact that Hashem loves me, I feel like a million dollars, like ten million dollars, there's no end to my simcha. And that joy puts me in a state of happiness that nothing you could do could take me out of. Hence the Ava that Hashem feels for His creations will vanquish the hatred you feel for somebody else if you focus on it. However, again, these concepts take thinking about these concepts take dwelling upon. The Torah defines nekama as revenge. You did something, I'll do it back. Netir is something different. I'm not going to do back to you, but I'm going to pay you back by telling you the words, I'm different than you. <clears throat> Those are animosity driven. And once there's anger, once there's animosity, it's no longer that you're a good guy with a fault, a good guy who's cheap, a good guy who's coarse, a good guy who's a little too loud. 
you become ice mensch, and that Hashem says will lead to tremendous, tremendous destruction in the world. And Hashem gives us a solution: focus on the good that others have done for you. Learn to be a self-reliant, independent person who knows intrinsically that I'll never be independent. I am dependent. Yes, I can stand on my own. Yes, I can go out into the world with confidence. But I also know that I'm reliant upon others, dependent upon others, and ultimately completely dependent on my Creator. And that balance, the mature person, is the balance of an Eved Hashem, the balance of an Adam Shalom that we're supposed to work on. One of the keys to working on that is to understand that I have to be comfortable within my own skin. I have to feel that I have a place. I have to feel unconditional acceptance. I have to recognize whether you approve of me or you don't approve of me is irrelevant because you did not create me and it really doesn't matter what you think about me. Hashem created me. Hashem is the Melech Malchi Amlochim, not just the most important <coughs> occupant of the planet, Kaviyachal, but Hashem is the planet and everything that it contains, the most mighty, powerful, wealthy, significant creator of all loves me unconditionally, that sense brings me surely a sense of approval, of acceptance, of affirmation, and I feel comfortable with myself. With that sense of comfort, I lose my hostility, I lose my anger, I lose my chip on the shoulder, and I'm a comfortable, happy individual. And ultimately, if I focus on it in the true sense, I understand how wealthy I am, how loved I am, I walk around with a simcha that nothing you could do could possibly make me sad. There's nothing you could do to harm me because Hashem loves me. I want to close with a story that is now becoming very popular. It was actually in Mishpacha magazine. And you may have heard the story, but I want to share it with you anyway because there's a particular point that I'd like to bring out in it. Rabbi Grossman, who was a rov in Eretz was visited by a certain Moti Dotan, who is a governor, one of the, uh, he's actually the head of Lower Galilee Regional Council. And this Moti Dotan came to Rabbi Grossman because he told him he has a story that he must tell him. What happened was that this Moti Dotan was in Germany in a meeting with the parliament, and a certain member of the German parliament, Detlev Herzog, came over to him. And as Detlev Herzog came over to Moti Dotan and said, I must speak to you. He pulled him over in private and he said, there's something I must show you. He said, my father recently died. Before he died, he pulled me into his bedroom and he said, you should know, there are many who claim that the Nazis <coughs> tortures, the atrocities never existed. The Jews are making it up. I want you to know what happened because I was a part of it. I was a pilot in the German Air Force, and I was personally responsible for destroying many Jewish synagogues, many Jewish sites. And then he said, he reached under his pillow, and he pulled out his officer identification papers, which were wrapped in some kind of purse, some kind of leather purse, and he said, here, take this, he said to his son, bring it to Israel, and tell them, get it to one of the holy rabbis, they'll know what to do with it. This Mati Dotan said he took it, and when he took it, he realized that it was, in fact, the German officer's papers with the picture as an army officer. But he saw that it was wrapped in the cloth of the Sefer Torah. And he didn't know much about it. He took it back to Eretz 
and he thought, who's the person he's going to give it to? He went immediately to Rabbi Grossman, gave it to him, and Rabbi Grossman took it and began trembling because he separated the cloth and he saw what it said on it. It was a tochacha, and the words, if you'll excuse me for the translation, read as follows. In siege and distress, your enemy will distress you in your cities. If you're not careful to perform all the words of this Torah that are written in this book, Hashem your God will make extraordinary the blows and the blows upon your offsprings, great and faithful blows of evil and faithful illness. And it describes, it's a tochacha, when the tochacha describes exactly what will happen to the Jewish nation if you do not listen to the Torah. The amazing part is that this German officer found a Torah scroll in one of the shuls that he had bombed. They landed, he went in, and the place was rubble. But there was somewhere in the back over there, there was a Sefer Torah, and he decided somehow to make a cover for his identification papers. And of all the parts, he happens to just cut out the tochacha, wrap it, of all the amazing things, he just happens on his deathbed to give it to his son. When Rabbi Grossman saw it, he began trembling with the understanding of the implications. The reason why I share this story with you is because there were times, there were certainly generations, when it was very, very difficult to see Hashem's love. There were certain times in our history when a person had to read into things very, very carefully. They'd have to find a cloth on a German's identification papers to understand that it's Yad Hashem, to understand that Hashem has a plan, to understand that ultimately it's for the good of the Jewish nation. But my friends, that's not the times we live in now. We live in extraordinary times of opportunity, of peace. We live in times of such good. We live in times of such opulence and wealth. We live in a time where anti-Semitism in our own Dalit Amos certainly is unheard of. Granted, in Eretz Yisrael, but the way we walk in Brooklyn, USA, there's nothing but opportunity and chesed gomer. And in that state, I think it's more incumbent and certainly easier for a person to focus on the fact that Hashem created me, Hashem put me in this generation. Wow, Hashem, what could I ever do to pay you back for what you've done for me? I have such opportunity, such wealth in front of me, such great chances to do, to grow, to accomplish. Thank you, Hashem, for creating me. And when a person thinks about that, dwells upon it, they take the next step, which is to understand that all of this Hashem did with Chesed Gomer, and Hashem did it for one reason, because Hashem loves me, Hashem loves every one of His creations. And when a person dwells upon them, there's a reciprocal emotion. They begin loving Hashem. See, Rabbi Kivega says, if you want to fulfill the first Pasuk in Krishma, when it says, Love Hashem, your God, with all your heart, how do you do it? Rabbi Kvega says, focus on the last Pasuk in Avarabba. Haboker ba'amo Yisrael bi'ava. Just think about this one fact. Hashem, you chose us of all the nations. Hashem, you picked us. Hashem, you handpicked us and chose us as your nation. Bi'ava, because you love us. And when a person understands that Hashem loves him, there's a reciprocal relationship. My heart changes and I begin loving Hashem. And the more I understand how much Hashem does for me, the more I understand how much Hashem loves me, automatically perforce the more I love Hashem back. May Kodesh Baruch Hu open our hearts and minds to understand this and allow us to put this into practice in our own existence. You've been listening to The Shmooze, presented by Teferis B'nai Torah. 
For more information on The Schmooze, please visit us at www.theschmooze.com where you can download all the schmoozing free of charge, as well as view source sheets and address questions or comments on this or any other schmooze. The Schmooze is completely funded by private donations. We need your help to continue our work. All donations are tax-deductible and count as MISA. Please help us help others by calling 866-613-TORAH. That's 866-613-TORAH. Or you can make your donation right on the web at www.theschmooze.com.